My name is Ryan Wynn, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Emerald Podcast Network. I am Jack Butler, here with Gus Morris. Hey, Jack. We are here to talk about Oregon men's basketball. The season is over. The Ducks are in the NIT. So, almost March Madness. Could be could be mad. The NIT is crazy. You never know what it could happen, even though no one really, really tends to watch it. But what you mean, no one watches the, the NIT? No, no one, no one usually really watches the NIT very, very often. But I filled out three brackets, though. You filled out three NIT brackets. I did. Who's winning? Don't worry about it. We'll get there. Don't worry. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but the Ducks ended the season twenty-two, twenty-two and twelve. <laughs> twenty-two and twelve, with a loss. They finished the season with a loss to USC in the Pac-12 tournament semifinal. And usually you would say 22-12 and 12 in the Pac-12 is good enough to make the NCAA tournament 10-8 uh, and eight in conference. But this year it wasn't. The Pac-12 overall down this year. Uh, only three teams made it in. Only one for sure. Only one. Arizona uh, out, of, uh, yeah. US, or out of UCLA and ASU, only Arizona has a non-playing game to start for the first round. So, so And there are five Pac-12 teams in the NIT, so if that gives you any indication yeah. of how the, how the conference was this year. It was an almost-there season for the Pac-12, just like <laughs> it was an almost-there season for Oregon this year. Nice. And, But, you know, they do have an opportunity to end on – you know, a high note. I mean, obviously, the NIT is not where this team wanted to be at the start of the year. It's not where any team really wants to be because everybody wants to make the NCAA tournament. But at the same time, you know, if you go on and you win a couple games in the NIT, and heck, even if you go and win the NIT, you know, there's not too many teams that can say they ended their season on a win. Uh, so... It's an opportunity for the Ducks. It's not the opportunity that they wanted, but you know it is an opportunity for them to create a lot of momentum going into next season. Uh, you know, a season that a lot of people are looking forward to, and one where they certainly will have NCAA tournament expectations again. Um, but before we get into the NIT rider, they're playing Tuesday night uh, in the first round, and kind of their chances, what this might mean to them. You know, we're gonna. T- review the season and kind of talk about what they did to get to this point you know what happened maybe what went wrong what went right um but for you gus you know was there was there a pivotal moment in the season is there somewhere you know throughout this this run uh that they kind of that you see as something good or bad that really sort of embodies the season for you or somewhere you can point to and say this was a troubling point. Well, I think there were a couple of those points this year. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, I think I think there's, you know, there being only one point to a season like that, um, that was not this kind of season. Uh, I think we can start off with, with pointing at uh, PK-80. I mean, I know you and I were there, and we watched Oregon disappoint for two out of their three games, and even the one win they had was they squeaked out an overtime win against DePaul. That's not a strong sign to start the season. Um, and then And then, you know, they – come off of that and they lose at the buzzer to Boise State so it's like you know you drop three to four and at out of the first 10 games of the season it's not a not a great sign coming out and um I mean obviously you know they kind of turned it around and you know they went to conference play 10 and three you know kind of won out the last couple of their non-conference games but um equally rocky start to uh conference play um you know drop 
four out of your first six and, you know, start two and four in the conference. Um, again, turn around a bit, but then I think the second point is the Stanford loss. That um, the 35-point loss at Stanford, which was the worst in uh, in Oregon under Dana Altman. Um, yeah, that was that was probably embarrassing. I mean, I mean, I know Dana called it embarrassing for the program. Uh, now, granted, Oregon did play better after that, and they kind of turned things around. And you know, they've swept swept Washington, you know, the Washington schools, and played you know USC and UCLA really tough. And then they swept the Arizona schools. So it was you know things were looking up as you know the, the season kind of went on. And um, you know, at that point, they were they were you know kind of on the periphery of the bubble and you know kind of fighting their way back into the back into you know postseason talks and whatnot. But uh, then the third point I'd say is Washington State, and um, you know that was the loss there where it was like, you know, hey, maybe if they win out, you know, they'll get a you know a pretty good seed in the Pac-12 tournament and maybe make a run there. But they probably still had to win it. Um, but it was still the loss at Washington State, where it's like you know you beat them and they're the 182nd team in Ken Palm ratings. Um, that's not great, and that kind of effectively ended any chance they had of getting. Uh, an at-large bid, and from that point on, it was like, all right, they have to win the Pac-12 tournament, and didn't play well, and then it was just boom to USC, but um, I mean, the three points I can really point to is, you know, the PK-80, where it was just like, you know, shoot, maybe this team isn't isn't as good as, as everyone thought they were, and, you know, granted, Dan Altman's teams usually play better in the second, second half of the season, so it's like, all right, maybe they need some time to gel. Uh, Pac-12 play didn't, didn't start well, but then it was like, you know, the Stanford game, I could probably point to it as, as the second point, where it's like, wow, okay, maybe this team is really not that good at all. And maybe they are a little good after, you know, next couple yeah. games after that. And then it was Washington State. It's like, okay. It was definitely an extreme season of, you know, Dana Altman can yeah. fix it. And he has a track record of doing that. There yeah. was, you know, not a lot of reason to think that they couldn't turn it around or that he couldn't patch it up or it needed to be patched up and they could improve a lot. And I think they still did. Mm. It just wasn't enough. And that's why, like like you said, pointing to PK-80, you know, that, that was a big – Looking back at this season, I mean, that was a big that you know, that was some big losses and, and if you if you look at their loss to Yukon, that's that you know, it's Yukon terrible. traditionally you would think that's that's not bad, but they just fired their coach, Kevin Ollie. They ended like fourteen and eighteen, some something like that. That's probably the their their second worst loss of the year yeah, after and, the Washington State. And they game. didn't have a very strong non conference schedule because it was clear that they were you know, looking at PK-80 as an opportunity to get some strong non-conference games. Even if you lose, you're still, your strength of schedule still goes way up, right? So that UConn loss to me is huge because, okay, yeah, sure, they still have an entire season left where they can make a run and do great things, but, you know, you perform poorly in that UConn game, which then eventually leads to a loss against Oklahoma, and now you don't have a lot of room for error the rest of the way. And, and that, that's why that was pivotal. And if, you know, on the flip side, if they had beaten UConn, they would have played Michigan State in the next round. Okay, and they're, fine. they're not going to yeah. be – they, you know, they weren't certainly weren't going to win that at that point in time. But, you know, then they go on and then they would have gone on and played Arkansas. And, you know, maybe they win or lose that one. But Arkansas, a tournament team, like you'd rather have a win against UConn and two losses against Michigan State and Arkansas, then two losses against UConn and Oklahoma and a win against DePaul. So that was kind of a point for me that, okay, yeah, they had the basically most of the season still to play, but that didn't those losses didn't give them any room for error the rest of the way. And then that buzzer beater against Boise State absolutely gave them no room, you know, not a lot of room for error 
going forward. So well, and, and we saw that kind of doom some other you know bubble teams too. It was like you know, you know with the USC ASU debate, it was ASU's strength of schedule and their good wins outside of conference play that actually got them yeah. that bubble seat. Even though they finished ninth. Even though they finished ninth in more, the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, and I mean USC second in the Pac-12. You know they make the the conference final and you know they're twenty three and eleven and they're in the NIT. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know Andy Enfield was upset about that, but it's like, it it just shows how much the community actually values the the you know out of game you know strength of schedule you know or the out of conference strength of schedule, and Oregon's did not have that this year, or the or the wins at all either. You know, and that was the biggest point for them. Yeah, and obviously ten and eight in Pac-12 play, you just needed to be better than that. And I mean, that Washington State loss at the end of the season was pretty crippling. Uh, basically, made it so that Oregon had to win the Pac-12 tournament to make the NCAA tournament, but you know, it was, it was an early loss to, you know, Oregon state, those add up. And mm-hmm. then they finally kind of got on a roll midway through. They beat UCLA. They beat Oregon state. You know, they, they handled Cal, but then that blowout loss to Stanford, that just killed a lot of momentum that they had. And, you know, it's really Stanford, a team that was much better at this point, you know, in the season than, their record shows, but at the same time, you know, that that's not a bad to get beat by like 35 on the road. You know, that, that yeah. alone is, is a pretty bad mark. On and it wasn't resume. even, and it wasn't even that close to be like, I mean, if you watch the game, it was just, it was, it probably could have been a 50 point loss. Like it was, it yeah. was, it was pretty horrendous. Sanford just wasn't missing that night, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot that the ducks just didn't do and, you know, they paid for it. And, as well as they played against USC and UCLA down the stretch and one of them being an overtime loss, you know, it, you, you needed those key wins at this point in the season and to go and two on that road trip pretty much did it in my eyes, mm. you know, that pretty much did it for them. So kind of a, you know, I think what we take away from this is they, they didn't set themselves up to have room for, error yeah their lows were very low and their highs weren't actually that high right you know that their non-conference schedule that loss to UConn turning out you know in my opinion to be kind of a big loss it just hurt their strength of schedule a lot and obviously you know maybe if they pull out the victory against Oklahoma Boise State you know it's a little different but you know then then to go you know 10 and 8 in the Pac-12 in a down Pac-12 you know and and a bad Pac-12 that's just you know that gets you a three seed in the NIT in, you know, 20, 2018. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe two, three years ago they're in. But this year, just with the way the Pac-12 is and just with their general inconsistency and lack of, non, you know, strong non-conference, mm. you know, that, that, that gets you the three seed in the NIT, not, you know, not, not, not in the NCAA tournament, even an 11 seed playing game, you know, mm. is something that, you know, they might have been fighting for down the stretch. But... I mean, individually, we, we knew coming in that grad transfers, you know, Elijah Brown, Mikhail McIntosh were, you know, even Paul White, who was a transfer but had to sit out last year, you know, those were going to be key guys. Obviously, you know, Dana Almond's brought in transfers, made them work right away, but they just, you know, it just didn't quite work the way that I think maybe they envisioned. Certainly, I think we envisioned. Um I mean, what to you didn't work about that? To me, it was always kind of just too inconsistent. They couldn't get enough from those guys each night. Elijah Brown would play well one night and then, you know, be MIA the other. And at the end of the day, they just didn't have that guy that could really kind of 
you know, lead and take over. Yeah, and like that's that's what the what the biggest problem for me, uh, you know, watching this team, you know, was it's like in the last couple of years, it, it, it's like you know they've had a Joe Young who can carry the offense, they've had a, a Dylan Brooks, a Teller Dorsey, a, yeah. you know, a Dylan. Allen. Yeah, last year like, was unreal, but <laughs> yeah, last year was unbelievable, and you know, I mean, Joe Young obviously the couple couple years before, but it's like they just didn't have that guy this year who could go out and get them a bucket like they have in the past, um, and or just you know lead the team for that matter. It's like, you know, Elijah. Elijah Brown and Mikhail McIntosh just kind of like they didn't really take on that that kind of veteran leadership role until I guess later in the season when I guess you know their backs were against the wall, um, and by then it was it was almost too late. But that was kind of the biggest thing for me. It was like they just didn't click early enough and just didn't click well enough down the stretch. And now you know I, I mean granted they played their best basketball you know towards the end of conference play, which is you know pretty typical for for a Dan Altman team. But they just didn't have it early enough and they just didn't have it consistently enough, like you said. Yeah, and. You know, look, they they were they had an extremely difficult task in basically living up to a team that obviously you know was the best team in Oregon basketball history, made the Final Four. Um, you know, a lot of guys that have done some, you know, Dylan Brooks, Jordan Bell have been successful in the NBA so far. You know, Tyler Dorsey getting some minutes with the Hawks, and you know, you have to replace like seven guys who were all key to what they did and you know when Peyton Pritchard's kind of the only guy left standing that's extremely difficult but at the same time you, you still know, have talent like, you, you, it's, it's yeah, still a good team there's still talent there's still a good team you know relying on a lot of freshmen too I mean we just talked about the grad transfers obviously and those yeah. guys need to come in and produce right away but you know and if you want to be one of those top programs year in and year out of college basketball like the Kentucky's Dukes you know those guys they have freshmen come in and contribute, you know, big right away. And, um, again, it was just a little too inconsistent from guys like Troy Brown, from guys like Kenny Wooten, who I think down the stretch, Kenny Wooten was a way better player than he was early, obviously, mm-hmm. like the foul trouble. Yeah. He had trouble staying on the court. Um, Even now he still has trouble rebounding, which is – Yeah, like you know, it's got to – Yeah, got to, you know – blocking shots is super important and he makes a huge impact defensively but you got to grab rebounds as well and you know Troy Brown who at times showed he was clearly the most talented player on this team and when he was playing well it was really hard to beat mm. the Ducks when he was playing well but it just wasn't there enough it he's doing and it'll be interesting going forward with Troy Brown cuz he's doing just enough to you know, get his name in the in the lottery, but you know, maybe not consistent enough. Maybe you know, maybe he should return and work on his game a it, little. Hard to know. There was actually an ESPN uh, uh, mock draft that came out this morning that had Troy Brown at number seventeen. Uh, I believe it was to the um, the Pacers, and it was a uh, starting salary of two point four six million dollars. So it's two point four six million dollars enough to override him. Generally, to, nothing. Yeah, yeah. But is that enough to to you know override him coming back? You know, right? And coming back to a team that's bringing in, you know, two five stars. Obviously, Bull Bull, the big name, Lewis King, Will Richardson. You know, all these guys, ESPN top one hundred players, including, you know, Bull Bull, number one center. You know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, maybe if that plays a factor, if he looks at the guys that are coming in next year and says, you know, we we might be young, but we can really do some 
do some damage. But well, and you got to think about the guys which, you know coming back too. It's also like you know you've, right. you've paid Pritchard, you have Paul White, you have you know Kenny Wooten, you still have all these freshmen. Yeah, you know like even they're gonna have a nice you know yeah. good pieces and you know I mean Dan Alvin's teams you know, you know yeah. maybe he'll try and add a you know a veteran yeah. transfer here or there. But it's you know I mean they'll have talent next year. They'll yeah. be young, but they'll have talent. And Altman and, and company have clearly shown an ability to develop talent as well. So you know if you can take Abu Kijab or Victor Bailey you know, one step forward, you know, just bring where they can bring something more to the table than they do right now. That's huge. You know, those will be huge bench minutes. You know, I, you know, Peyton Pritchard again, like clearly the, the point guard, you know, clearly the guy that going forward, who's been around, been at all, but you know, as a team, they can be, they'll be, they'll be young, but they'll be, you know, pretty talented. So, <sighs> There are still games to be played from this current squad. Yeah, I was going to say, are we talking, yeah, we're getting too far so ahead of ourselves. So we getting too far ahead of ourselves, but it's, it is exciting to talk about that next year's class as it should be a really interesting team to watch. But the Ducks, they are in, you know, they still have games to play. It's up to them, kind of, how many games. That, game, games. Yeah, games slash games. Um, their first matchup here in Eugene, they host the first game, Ryder, uh, a team that, is not not very good. <laughs> they're not, you know, they're um, overall, you know, below their offense is they're kind of a, more of an offensive team than they are a defensive team. Their defense, like, let's also <sighs> preface this with their twenty-two and nine. They went fifteen and three in the MAC. They have three players who are all league. You know, like they have, yeah. you know, like it's this is what they are on paper. But you know, when you when when you take a bit of a closer look, it's they're not. You know, the MAC is what it is, and Ryder is. Um, you know, they are what they are as well. Yeah, and, you know, not not a team that takes a lot of three-pointers, um, but th- they can score. Their offense uh, has been pretty good all year, but it's kind of that defense that's been exposed. I think they're 199th in defensive efficiency. They play fast. This year, but they play fast. They're going to go fast. Um, so we'll see how the Ducks – the Ducks a little slower team uh, this season. The Ducks have kind of been a slow team this year. Um, so we'll see maybe a battle of styles if if it's out there running maybe you know that's to Ryder's advantage, but if the Ducks maybe can slow it down, uh, that might help them going forward. But the thing that jumps out to me about Ryder is if this is a close game down the stretch, mm-hmm. Ryder is three ranks 350th in Division One college basketball as a team free throw percentage. Uh, there are 351 teams in Division One college basketball. So if this is close down the stretch, uh, certainly uh, you will see the Ducks probably fouling as much as they can. Where uh, if Ryder starts to foul the Ducks, uh, the Ducks are 33rd in free throw percentage. Just don't so, foul Peyton Pritchard down the stretch. So yeah, that's been <laughs> that's been a little tr- <laughs> a little <laughs> trouble. So. If this is even, you know, a close game, uh, wouldn't be surprised if Oregon separates by free throws because of this and basically takes the win. But looking forward on the, you know, the next region of the bracket, they would play either Marquette or Harvard. Um, and Marquette, a really incredible offensive team this year, um, you know, 13th in offensive efficiency in, in Division One basketball. I think third and three point percentage. They are a very good free throw shooting team, Marquette. So, not that advantage. But 
uh, kind of kind of a similar uh, thing as the Ducks, just really inconsistent. Kind of never knew what you were going to get from Marquette this year. So can we talk about the rest of the NIT for a second? Because they're like, I, I, is it weird that I'm like actually interested in watching the NIT this year? No, because there are some good teams in the NIT. The fact that the Pac-12 has as many teams as it does makes it interesting, in my opinion. Um, I mean, some of the other Louisville, teams though. Louisville's like, a two seed. You have Notre Dame as a one seed. You Lu- have twenty eight and five. Yeah. St. Mary's as a one seed. Louisville. I mean, a Boise State team that is fun. I mean, yes. watched them here. Stanford. You know, Stanford. USC's in here too. <laughs> USC. Uh, <laughs> Baylor, Middle Tennessee. Who? I mean, Oklahoma State. Like is. Really, you know, have played really hot down the stretch. So, like, I, I might actually catch myself watching more than, like, two two NIT games right. this year. And, like, not because I'm bored. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not because it's spring break and I have nothing else to exactly. do. But because there's genuinely interesting basketball in the <laughs> NIT this year. Um, no, the NIT is really interesting. That's why, you know, kind of briefly went through Marquette. Um, if, you know, Harvard could beat Marquette and maybe if the Ducks beat Ryder, it's Harvard. But, you know, Marquette's a fun team. They fly around like they're they shoot threes really well. Like Marquette's a fun team. You got Penn State and Notre Dame on the yeah. you know as the one and the four on Oregon's side. Those tough, are teams that almost made. You know, those are teams that very much almost made the tournament. Yeah. So, you know, Oregon's on a difficult side of the NIT, and the NIT as a whole is you. You look through a lot of these teams. It's actually pretty strong. I think it's a. You know, the Pac-12 wasn't great. So they're not going to get a lot of teams in the NCAA tournament, but there's you know the middle of the Pac-12, which is wide open and pretty much still is, is basically in the NIT now. So let me pose you a question real quick: Why why should Oregon fans care? Should they watch this? Should they watch Oregon in the NIT and why? Yeah, they should because at because what the you know the it's like it's like a bowl. I'll say it like this: It's like it's like a bowl game, right? So the Ducks football this year. They they made it to the Vegas Bowl, okay. Sure, they're a program that has expectations to compete for Pac-12 championships. They want to go to be, you know, they want to go to the playoffs. You know, if not, they at least want to go to some of the top bowls that the Pac-12 has. But the Las Vegas Bowl is not that, but it's still an opportunity for a team to build and create momentum going into the next season. And you know, you can see guys. Like Kenny Wooten, you know, if Troy Brown decides to stay, you can see, you know, these are opportunities for guys to really cement themselves as a part of this program. Um, you know, you can see, I know we've only had Mikhail McIntosh and Elijah Brown for one year, but if you do make a run in the NIT and how even win the thing, like that's, you know, that's that's something you can sort of peg on the bulletin board. You know, I don't know if they'd hang it from the rafters, yeah, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it right is. Right next to their Final Four banner. From right. <laughs> but, you know, th- this is an opportunity for fans and, you know, everyone just to continue watching some of these young guys that will play key roles in the future develop. And, you know, maybe, you know, Victor Bailey plays really well. You know, maybe Abu Kijab gets more minutes. Um, you know, maybe Kenny Wooden grabs more than nine rebounds, <laughs> or like right? Four rebounds. Or or maybe <laughs> you know, maybe he makes, you know, five more game-winning blocks. Yeah. Like you know, it's still you know, it's still an exciting team, and it's still, you know, there's still the sort of it's not the NCAA tournament, but there's still the on edge like single elimination intensity that happens. And I mean, you know, teams that go on to win the NIT, 
you know, they have a lot of momentum going into the next season just because, you know, for all these postseason tournaments, only one team can end it on a win. Yeah. And, you know, not many team, not many basketball teams across the country end their season on a win. And that's a unique opportunity, and that's something that Oregon has. And, you know, like we were talking about, you know, this is, you know, this is kind of wide open. I, you know, I, I don't think there's one team to me that stands out way above the rest. Maybe USC. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. but you know, this is something that I think people should invest their time in and watching. Um, but... What so, about you? Are you are you are you gonna tune tune in? Absolutely. You better be. I mean, you have to. Absolutely. So <laughs> I mean, I literally have to. I yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Going from the final four to the NIT is is definitely a a jump. But I mean, it's hey, it's postseason basketball. Yeah. It's like you know, I'm, I'm still gonna watch it. I mean, obviously, my you know priority after the Oregon games will be on the on March Madness and whatnot. Right. But I mean, it's it's still like there are intriguing matchups here. I mean, like like we could see. Uh, you know, a, a USC and, you know, Oklahoma State or USC-BYU matchup. You know, it's like we oh. could see St. Mary's against, uh, I don't even know. I mean, Boise State or Washington. Boise State or Washington. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's like it's like there are yeah. intriguing matchups here. I mean, like you can get a, a Mississippi State-Louisville, you know, Middle Tennessee-Louisville. It's like yeah. there are, there are in, like, it's like, you know, there aren't there are matchups that, you know, you you maybe circle as like March Madness, you know, like premier games. But it's like. Shoot, I I watch these games. They'll still be interesting to watch. Yeah, and every team would rather be in the NCAA tournament and lose in the first round. But you know, I don't know. They're if the Ducks win a couple of these things, you know, making it yeah. to the quarterfinal or even a semifinal of the NIT certainly. You know, I don't think people would choose it over being eliminated in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But at the same time, you know, getting a couple postseason wins is. is yeah is nothing but fun and good for a program. So So I know that I've filled out about four NIT brackets already. Jack, I know you yeah, have as well. You know. Um, I want to know what is your take on how the NIT will labored. What what is your over this. What is Don't your... even know what the NCAA tournament bracket looks like. NIT no, first just kidding. Um So what is your take on how Oregon <laughs> will shake out in the in the NIT? Well, um I think obviously they should beat Ryder and if they don't, that's pretty bad. And but oh, that Marquette <laughs> that Marquette game is gonna be really fun, but I look at a team like Penn State that's one of the top teams. So you're just so so, so you are just just completely discrediting Harvard. No no faith. I I'm gonna I, I no mean faith. I'm I'm picking Marquette to win that game. So in that Same sense, cream. yes, I'm not discrediting them. It's just <laughs> I am thinking that Harvard or Marquette's gonna move on. But right. I I kind of look at the. You know the the quarterfinal as as a real possibility for Oregon. Um, there they you know they could face a, a Penn State or Notre Dame, two teams that um, you know are have been better than them all season and just missed on their tournaments or on the NCAA tournament as well. Um, so I see a, you know at least a quarterfinal a real possibility for Oregon, and then they'll probably face a pretty tough Penn State or Notre Dame team. So. I mean, quarterfinal is something that is certainly achievable, and I think anything after that, um, I, I think you'd have to say it's a good NIT. So, side note, who's winning it all, NCAA tournament? All right, I think I think uh, with how Oregon's been, been playing the last couple games, uh, in in the tournament games, I don't think it would be as far-fetched to think that, you know, if they do beat Ryder and Marquette does beat Harvard and that matchup does happen, I wouldn't be that surprised if Marquette actually did beat Oregon. I think, I think the way they've been playing in the postseason – 
has not shown me it, it has not given given me much faith in Oregon basketball. Granted, they could have figured out their problems, and you know they they might shoot better. And it is a home game, you know, against or I mean, it it actually be an away game against Marquette, but a home game against Ryder, so they could kind of fix some problems first. But if they play the way they've been playing, it could be a very very early exit in the NIT, and I think a lot of that momentum that that you know you're talking about, you know, of them building, might kind of reverse and might be, you know. N- it, it might kind of create, you know, like the a not great situation for the season to end on, and I kind of feel like it'd be appropriate for the season to end on, you know, a quarterfinal <laughs> loss in the NIT, just just based on how the season has gone. But um, I kind of think there's more risk here than reward for Oregon. But I mean, who knows? We'll see. We shall indeed. Uh, that'll do it for the Emerald Basketball Podcast. Um, for more podcasts from the entire emerald podcast network and everything from sports news whatever uh you can go to dailyemerald.com there's a sidebar that you can listen to all the podcasts just right there or wherever you find your podcast itunes um you know wherever you find it that's where we are so thank you for listening mm-hmm.